spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Something a little bit different today. Uh, I'm just going to re-upload the interview that I did with Jackson Hastings. This was almost two years ago now. This is before Jacko had signed with the West Tigers. This is when there was talk of him coming back to the NRL and every media agency was rubbishing him, calling him an asshole, calling him arrogant, calling him this, calling him that. And I was lucky enough to get a response uh, to a DM from Jacko. And I'd never spoken to him before. I'd watch him play a heap of rugby league when he was a teenager and just thought, my God, this kid could be anything. I uh, had a bit of shit in his game at the time. And, you know, that's something that Jacko won't hide away from. Uh, but there's a lot behind that. And there's a lot in his childhood that sort of explains why he was the sort of guy that he was coming through. Obviously, the son of Kevin Hastings, uh, a rugby league great. And I think that when we think about rugby league greats and their children, you know, you think of this perfect relationship. They're down at the park all the time. They're helping each other. And that wasn't the narrative for Jackson Hastings. It was the polar opposite. It was his mother that had done the vast majority of things for him. Uh, nearly everything for him, realistically. So there's a lot more in Jacko's life that if you haven't listened to this podcast before, you probably aren't aware of. And I just want you guys now, because obviously for the last 18 months, as soon as you signed with the West Tigers, I've, I've been very high on Jacko. I've always backed him in because, you know, we, we became pretty good mates off the back of this. Uh, most guys I talk to, you know, we might talk for 10 or 15 minutes before the podcast and maybe five minutes after it. Jacko, we spoke for about an hour before and about an hour and a half after. He's just a champion guy and it'll sound crazy but it honestly doesn't surprise me the amount of impact he's had on the West Tigers in the couple of games he's played because he's just got a different mindset he's been through everything in rugby league he's been the biggest criminal in the entire game for a long time for a couple of years there he was the number one villain everyone hated Jacko without knowing him from a bar of soap there's still people in the media now that I listen to still criticize him off the back of what he did when he was 21, 22 years old, coming in with a heap of raps, everyone telling him how good he was constantly. And I, I just don't think it's fair. And hopefully you guys, you can listen to this now with the power of hindsight and understand why I've been so high on this guy and why I believe in him just so much and why I think the West Tigers are so lucky to have this guy. It's a long interview. Uh, I thought about chopping it up for you guys and everything, but I thought I'd just put it all out there as, at once. Jacko goes through his childhood, talks about his relationship with his old man, relationship with his mum, coming through junior grades, being you know the best kid there by a country mile, coming into first grade at the Roosters, uh, you know, working with guys like James Maloney, Mitch Pearce, then having to move to the Manly Seagulls. We sort of touch on all the drama that happened there, and he's very open and honest about that, relationships with DCE, relationships with Trent Barrett, and all those sort of things that he's going to have to face at some point this year, and I guarantee you he's going to handle it like an absolute champion. Uh, he then talks about his time in England, winning Simon Salford, and they were about to get relegated when he went over there. He saved them from, from relegation, which was beyond belief. Then a year later, they were playing in the grand final and Hastings was the player of the competition. He has been in worse situations than what the West Tigers are in now. That might sound crazy, but he's definitely been in worse situations and he's taken them all the way to a grand final. Am I saying he's going to do it for the West Tigers? No, I'm not. 
But Jacko, he is the sort of guy that the Tigers need. And you could straight away see when he came into that side last week, the attitude shift. And that's the sort of guy he is. And that's why I absolutely love him. That's why I'll always back him in. And this is just a really good snippet into two years ago before he had any runs on the board in the NRL, before he'd come back and achieved anything. This is the way that he was talking, and this was his mindset coming back into the hardest competition in rugby league when it had pushed him out the door and said, we don't want anything to do with you ever again. Three years before he was pushed out, he was going to be the next best ball player in rugby league. Three years later, not a single club wanted to have him. A crazy story, an unbelievable redemption story from a champion guy that I'm lucky enough to call a mate now. Absolutely love the Jackson Hastings story, and the scary thing is, it's just the beginning. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle and won. Jackson Hastings, welcome on. How are we, mate? Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate your um, your time. You give me something to do in this in this weird and wonderful world we live in, mate. Obviously, you've come over from England now. You're in a um, you're in a hotel room in Sydney in quarantine. You must be pulling your fucking hair out. <laughs> yeah, it's my last day today, so um, I get out tomorrow afternoon. So I haven't seen my mum and my sisters and my grandfather for um, thirteen months. So although I've enjoyed playing and stuff like that, being away from home for that for that amount of time is um, pretty stressful, mate. So to be locked up for, for two weeks and to be finally able to get out tomorrow is, um, you know, I'm so excited and so grateful that I've been able to fly back in time for Christmas and, and see my family. My granddad's quite ill at the moment. Uh, I'm having a lot of heart issues too. So, look, I probably had the opportunity to stay and have Christmas with my partner and um, she gave me the blessing to come home. Um, she couldn't come over. She's, she's an English citizen and you need to do all this paperwork. So for her to give me the opportunity to come home and spend it with my, my granddad who, who's ill, um, I'm fully appreciative of and, and can't wait to see him all. Mate, is your grandfather and the rest of the family, are they still in the uh, Wollongong sort of region? Yeah, um, down on the south coast, uh, Warilla. So that's obviously where I was born and raised and and hung out for, for my whole childhood really. So um, my whole family's there, um, my mum and my two sisters, and my granddad live under the same roof. Um, obviously, as I said, my, my grandfather struggles a little bit with his health at the moment. And, and sadly, my nan passed away a few years ago too. So mum's almost like my granddad's full-time carer. Like he can, he gets around and, and does normal things and stuff like that. But as I said, he struggles with um, his heart and, and sometimes loss of breath and th- things like that too. So uh, my immediate family, mum and sisters, and that made the decision to move in with granddad and, and make sure that his health comes first and, and do everything for him really. So... But I'm looking forward to being just surrounded by family for the next month or so and, and just really enjoying being back in the sun and, and on the beach, mate. Has, uh, has your grandfather been keeping track of your uh, career over in England pretty closely? Yeah, mate, of course he has. Um, he should have had open heart surgery, I think, three weeks ago when we played uh, a semi-final against Hull FC and he rang me two nights before and he said, mate, I've put this bloody operation off so you better make the grand final because <laughs> I told him, oh, I watch you play. Bit of pressure. So... Yeah, no pressure. I was lucky. I got I played hooker that game. Um, our starting hooker um, got coronavirus and and missed that week. And um, I put my hand up to play hooker and actually got a man in the match too. So it was quite an emotional sort of time. And to be able to get to the grand final and stuff like that, it, it made staying there worth it and, and making coming home more special too. So 
um, yeah, he's he's definitely kept a close eye on it and, and very proud of what I've been able to achieve. Mate, we'll jump into your uh, your junior career in a moment, but what about that grand final? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ is probably the best way to describe it. It's just one of them. Um, you know, after the game, it was it was a weird feeling, mate. The year before when I lost that grand final to the same team, it was just pure raw emotion of like of heartbreak. You you work so hard to get there, and um, we got beat quite convincingly in the end. But this one was just utter shock and disbelief, and not not because of the result and because we lost, just the way we lost. Obviously, with ten seconds on the clock. A winger comes in, has a shot at a field goal from 40 out, has the legs, hits the upright crossbar, bounces back, bounces over the crossbar, takes a left-hand turn, and, and their young centre comes and does an acrobatic dive and puts it down to win on the bell. Like To play in a game like that, the, the such high quality and intensity physicality was was unbelievable. Like it's shattering that we're on the wrong side of it, but at the same time, um, if you're going to lose and lose like that, there's not much you can really do about it too. So um, proud to be obviously a part of such a big game, but just disappointing that couldn't get over the hump and get my first um, ring. But I don't know if there's anyone I'd want to be less than uh, Bevan French when that ball came off the crossbar. It was just like two bounces from hell, wasn't it? And and I've, I haven't seen Bev get as emotional as what he was. Uh, bless him. You know, he he put a statement out on Instagram that he didn't need to do. He, he pretty much blamed himself for losing when he's pretty much the reason we were there, like at, on grand final day. Um he was so close to winning Man of Steel. He he took the competition by storm. Obviously, we got a glimpse of that in the NRL of his raw speed, athleticism, and, and things like that. But mate, he just it just took a, a bounce and, and things like that happen. Mate, it's a weird shaped ball. If it bounces on a point, you you think it's going right, it goes left. And unfortunately for us and, and Bevan as a team, um, it bounced in their favour. And, and you got to credit um, Jack Wellsby um, from Saints for chasing that ball as hard as he did. You know, there was thirteen blokes from both sides on the pitch at the same time and one bloke wanted it the most and, and they ended up getting the results. So, you know, um, I tipped my hat to Bev for the way he, he, he tried to take it upon himself to, to own the loss, but it was definitely a team's loss, not his. Jeez, it was a well-struck kick. It, it looked like to me it was never missing. You you you, you must have almost rathered at the field goal go over than what did happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the, the weird thing about that is Tommy Makinson, um, he won the Golden Boot a few years ago. He's the winger that kicked it. Um, last year's grand final, Old Trafford, he actually nailed one from the same spot. Um, they were up 22-4, about five to go. And he coming off the wing and on last tackle, and no one kick crushed him because we didn't know what, what he was doing. Like, mm. he coming off the wing, like Pat Richards style, and um, he banged one from 40 out again. And then when he got it again, uh, we had mad kick pressure, and he, and he <laughs> nailed it again. And obviously, uh, the rest is history. But, yeah, I probably would have rather he just nailed the field goal. But then at the same time, I would have rather him Miss and we miss go it. an extra point and give ourselves the chance to, to kick our own. But um, these things happen. Um, Saints won, we lost, and we move forward and we get back into preseason and we, we go again and try and go one better. Mate, take me back to your junior footy. When did you first start playing league? Uh, yeah, I'll take you back. I was a, I was a soccer player for a long time. Um, I was one of them kids that was um, pretty small in stature, um, had long blonde curly hair, um, was a bit timid, and then um, I was just playing soccer, kicking the ball around, and every time I went to go play a rugby league game, I would, I'd get scared and run off and, and grab mum's leg like little kids do. And then it took me to about seven years old where I played my first game uh, for West Illawarra. Um, all my mates played that I went to school with and grew up with, and who were best mates with my mum and my stepdad at the time. And they just said, "Come down and train." And I was just running around them. I was a bit quicker. I was a bit quicker at that point. I, I was um, just running around them, having fun, and. 
and things like that. And mind you, I was a mad Roosters supporter. Like, obviously, my dad had played and stuff. So I'd love watching the game and, and doing it. But I just couldn't build up the courage to actually play. And um, I went to a like a like a round robin little tournament um, under sevens, West Illawarra, um, Dapto Canaries. There was a few teams playing there, and I finally took the leap and played. And as soon as I touched the ball, I just I just wanted. That's what I knew. I wanted to do that. Um, and then from then on, I, I stayed at West my whole junior career um, until I was until I was fifteen. Then I went over to to Berkeley Eagles and played with um, my mate Jack Bird. We won we won a comp there, and then. Went to another team, Albion Park Eagles, won, won another couple of comps there and then went back to West. And um, Paul McGregor was actually the um, first grade coach. So um, I went to make my first grade debut for West Illawarra the same week I got called into the under-20s Dragons team. So I uh, would have loved to have said I played first grade for my, um, well, from I'll call it my hometown team, West Illawarra. But instead, Justin Holbrook called me in that same week to play under-20s as a 17-year-old at the Dragons. And... Um, sort of kicked on and and the rest is history from there, really. Mate, with all due respect to the under-20s comp, I think playing uh, country first grade would have been a little bit scarier just quietly. Definitely, mate. Um, It was something I was really looking forward to. Obviously, I hold Mary in high regard. I've known him for for a long time. Um, He's a a Wollongong boy, obviously, and um, I would would have loved to get my chance of playing first grade. I played two games at reserve grade the the weeks leading up to that after the SG ball season. And... um, you know, Justin Holbrook called me up and, and wanted me to play fullback in the other 20s. So um, I spent a fair bit of time at number one back then. As I said, I was a, I was a lot lighter and a little bit quicker. But um, hopefully one day I'll get the chance to go back and play first grade for West. That, that's something I've always thought about doing. And as you said, it's a it's a pretty tough comp and um, they're a very good team too. So, um, yeah, look, I, it sort of worked out fortunate enough for me to play in the under 20s and then obviously play pretty good footy and, and have a few contract offers on the table. And as a kid, that's always pretty cool and exciting. Mate, you obviously mentioned your old man there. Now, obviously a very versatile footballer himself and played, you know, 240-odd first-grade games for the Roosters in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, playing that many games back then, it's almost unheard of. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, he was the first person at the Roosters to play 200 games too. And then um, I listened to uh, Rico do a podcast not long ago, actually, and um, – he said the day that he broke dad's record at the Roosters, dad was filthy. So that's that's quite that, that's quite funny actually. But um, I didn't really know too much about dad's um, career until I got a little bit older. I knew as a kid he played a bit, and and you didn't. I didn't really understand how good of a player or what he had really achieved until um, I got to about sixteen, seventeen. I started really becoming a student at the game and and really understanding the history of the game and stuff like that too. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool that that he's he's achieved all that and, and he had his career and obviously got the last name and things like that. But um, it's also been pretty cool to step out of that shadow and sort of make my own name and, and have my own career, which is which is still ongoing, of course, and, and hopefully for a few more years yet. Mate, is he, uh, is he living overseas or was he previously living overseas? So I never had too much to do with my dad growing up. Um, he moved to America when I was, uh, I can't remember the exact age, I'm going to say seven, uh, moved to America and then moved back when I was 18, so 11 years. He was in the States, um, met his now now wife over there at the time, and um, I think he I think he enjoyed it. But he actually moved back a couple of weeks before I made my debut at the Roosters against Souths, and um, I didn't even know he was going to be in the game, eh? And um, the Roosters, before the game, used to do this, like, on-field. I don't know if they still do it, on-field thing, where they get, like, an ex-player to come and talk to, like, 
Brooks's TV on the field in front of the crowd and that. And I remember running out to warm up and, and, and there he is just sitting there talking to the people that were running that. So it was kind of a weird moment to, to like see him, see him there at the game because I wasn't expecting that too. And obviously being at Hastings, playing for the Roosters' first game, it, it all sort of culminated in a pretty big night. We obviously won the minor premiership that night too. So it was all weird, mate. But um, yeah, he lived in America for, for 11 or 12 years. So didn't really have too much to do with him growing up. My mum did all the did all the hard work in terms of my rugby league. Obviously, generally in life, she did all that as well. But um, in terms of rugby league, she taught me sort of everything I know. Now, mate, I remember watching you coming through Howard Matt's SG Ball playing for the Dragons. And, I mean, as far as prospects go, and I guess the way that they refer to it in the NFL and whatnot, you sort of were a couldn't-miss sort of talent. You were just – like, you were just so far, far more advanced than the other halves you were playing against. I mean, you, you must yeah. have been super confident. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, you know, I had a lot of people um, saying that to me at the same time, which probably wasn't good for me. Um, I suppose it's always nice hearing compliments and things like that. But um, at, at that young age, now that I'm about to turn 25, you sort of wish that people didn't give you as much confidence within yourself. I think um, that sort of let me down as I got older, as we'll probably talk about. But I mean, um, every time I stepped on the field, I believed in, in my ability. Um, you know, I, I knew that I was probably working a little bit harder than a lot of other kids my age. I sort of put the party scene to the back door and I parked myself on the lounge every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and watched every every game of the NRL. And I, as I said to you, from seven years old, I knew that's what I wanted to do as a career. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about, like I said to you, the party scene or anything like that. All I wanted to do was play rugby league at the highest level possible and um, for me I was lucky enough to have a lot of good mates growing up down on the south coast and um, they spent a lot of time with me on the street just kicking the footy around like practicing doing different kicks and little things like that too so I don't know if I was far more advanced in terms of actual ability but I, I knew that I was working a lot harder than a lot of other people and I knew um, you know I had my mum and my granddad as, as we touched on before um, you know pushing me hard every single day, making sure I was making the right decisions in terms of my rugby league. Like my mum would make sure that I'm, you know, out there training. She made sure I had the best of everything. Um, she was, my granddad would make me run in the morning before school. Um, just little things like that that, you know, I look back on and I'm really grateful for because it, it taught me hard work and discipline and um, it sort of uh, put me in the right direction to, to be successful. Mate, the number one thing that stood out for me watching you as a 15, 16-year-old, and I guess it's only really you and Ash Taylor that I could – uh, put in this same basket, your kicking game was just so far ahead of all the other halves. That, that was the huge difference for me. Mate, is that countless hours kicking the ball around the streets? And, you know, how many yeah. hours were going into your kicking each and every week? Like, for, obviously, as a kid, um, from obviously you don't practice your, your kicking game as such at seven and that. But when you get to, like, a, a teenage sort of year, like the, for me, it was like 12, 13, 14 where I'd go down the park with my stepdad after school when he'd finish work at, we'll say, 5 o'clock um, before dinner. If I didn't have uh, um, actual training that day, he would take me down and he would just practice. Um, remember when Joey Johns released that video on, on all the kicking techniques and he actually had a foot, he brought out a football where to hold your hands to practice like a torpedo, a floater. Didn't help me. A, a, <laughs> a banana kick and stuff like that. My stepdad just like took me down with this footy and just drilled me, drilled me, drilled me until I until I could kind of get it. And then it was just all about being confident enough to put it in the game. Um, I suppose little things um, became easy to me. Like I have, I've got a naturally 
big foot, literally, like size 13. And then just in terms of kicking the ball long, once you can do that, I suppose it, the other stuff comes off the back of it. So learning how to do like nice little grubbers and things like that were probably the harder thing. Kicking the ball downfield and get rid of it was always sort of natural to me. But um, yeah, as you said, Ash Taylor's probably the cream of the crop. I remember in the under-20s, I don't know, I can't remember the exact number, but I think he was like 38 repeat sets in front of the next bloke by the end of the year, which is pretty cool. So um, yeah, it's definitely something I work on and um, I probably lost sight of that. Um, the last couple of years, I, I focused a lot more on getting back to enjoying the game, running the ball a lot more too. So um, it's something that I've definitely got to continue to work on. Now, mate, as a young bloke, when you were coming through the Dragon system, you know, you, you're obviously probably the star of that age group. And depending on who you spoke to, the, the you know, the review on you always went the same. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good player. And then there was one of two words. It was either he's really confident or he's really arrogant. How did you deal with yeah. that as a young bloke? Yeah, not great. Um, I suppose like back to the point you just made before where people are like pumping your tyres up every single day and telling you how good you are it sort of gets stuck in the back of your head and look I don't I still don't think I was headed as such but I definitely had full confidence in what I was able to do and then as a 15, 16 year old when you're hearing um, people going oh you're killing it or you're doing this and that it's probably not healthy for the kid like obviously you don't want to put people down and, and say this out or the other but you need people in your corner that are that have honest chats with you and, and have these things where they sort of make you not feel you're as good as what you are almost to, to bring you back down to earth. And I suppose for me that I still get that to this day um, off some people, mate, just from the way you play, the way you, you carry yourself and the way that um, you go about your business. As I said, like some people are going to read you the wrong way. That from people that have never met me before, obviously it's sort of just like a narrative that's always been there. So for me, it's working hard to try and get rid of that. Um, I suppose if you talk to the teammates that I played with over in England and they tell you how hard I work every week and then when I go on a rugby league field, I'm nothing but just dedicated to the cause, I think that'll give you a completely different complexion to what someone else will, from the public might say. So I know that I'm never going to please everyone, but at the same time, as a kid, that was really hard to deal with because you didn't want to be known for that. You just wanted to be known for being a good rugby league player. So... Um, it's something I struggled with up until maybe two years ago, mate, until I flew to England and got on that plane and had a bit of a self-reflection sort of um, time. But, yeah, it's definitely hard to, to hear as a teenage kid, that's for sure. Mate, uh, obviously as a teenage kid you just mentioned, who was the first person that you respected that had that hard conversation with you that essentially said you need to pull your head in? Like, Do you, do you remember that moment? Yeah, my mum my mum always had that conversation with me, but at the same time, my mum would always have my back at the same mm. as well. So it was kind of a conflict of interest for mum because being a single mother, she'd always have that hard conversation with me and, you know, tell me to, I'm not going to swear, but F and pull my head in or you weren't good enough or your attitude was off or, or this or that. And she always had that hard conversation with me and she always kept me in line. But at the same time, if she heard someone else say it, mum she'd have that mother instincts that have my back so it was like a it was hard for me to sort of like go well is she saying this because I need to hear it or is she saying it because other people are saying the opposite but probably my granddad mate to be honest um uh I remember having I used to blow up at the ref all the time as a kid and um I remember he pulled me to the side one day and we had a big falling out over it and um when I got back in the car and I drove home with mum and I was sitting in the back seat I, I had time to reflect on what that conversation was actually all about. And um, that definitely changed my view on how I wanted to be viewed and how I wanted to play the game and, and what I wanted to stand for as well. So 
mum and, mum and granddad again. They're the two that were most pre- present in my life and the two I have the most respect for. So, um, yeah, they're certainly two people that um, definitely held me into line. But then when I got older, um, it took me to get dropped to, to Blacktown and, and Stephen Hales was, was the one guy that literally put his arm around me and um, last two and a half years of good form and, and being happy and, and playing at the highest level, I, I sort of put down the, to Halsey for putting the time and effort into me at Blacktown and not just um, listening to everyone else and what was going on with the situation. He got to know me on a deep and personal level and um, he's there for me still to this day too. So I'll probably say them three um, that, have, that have really got my respect and people that I actually genuinely care about. Mate, you're coming through as a teenage prodigy to some extent, and then the opportunity to go to the Roosters comes about, obviously, to father to follow in your father's footsteps to some extent. How did that arise? Just, um, I was coming off contract um, the same year that I was I was playing under 20s as a 17-year-old. Um, I was playing fullback and a little bit of halfback at the Dragons, and I was going quite well. Um, our, team, our team was full of talent. I think off the top of my head, we had Charlie Runciman, Adam Fanua Blake, Ewan Aiken, Jack Bird. Um, I don't want to miss anyone out here. Um, we're going back a few years now. Adam Clune was in the squad. Drew Hutchison. And I've so said it a few Adam. times on my podcast, but Jack Bird at that age, you put Jack Bird best into ever. any team, they're super it's a superstar side at that age. Jack Jack's the best Jack's the best kid I've ever seen ever yep. in my life. Um, I know there's that gets thrown around a fair bit, but if you talk about skill toughness, leadership, Jack. Jack's the best I've ever seen still. Oh, you couldn't put a price on what Jack brought to your team. And for someone that could play fullback, centre, halfback, back row, loose, he could probably play prop if you wanted to. He was that tough. Had he the was best the best footballer technique. on the field regardless of who else was on it. It was crazy. Didn't ma- yeah, didn't didn't matter. Did not matter at all. And um, So, like, I was playing with people like that in the under-20s. So, Jack was 18, I was 17, and then... I remember um, it's the first time, obviously, it ever happened to me. Um, my manager, Sammy, rang me up and just said, oh, we need to have a meeting um, about your future. Um, I didn't even realise I was off contract with the Dragons. I didn't even really know I had a contract. I thought it was just like an agreement. Didn't really knew, know how it all worked. And then I had um, three or four teams that were quite interested. Um, Dragons wanted to keep me. Um, Roosters were there, obviously. Newcastle and there was and the North Queensland Cowboys actually flew up to the Cowboys to... Um, to check out the facilities and stuff like that. And, and like, I met JT for the first time ever. Like, I'm actually, I've got his book here, bro. Like, I'm actually reading it in, in, in quarantine, funny enough. But, um, like, he's someone that, like, I could have got the chance to play alongside. And that was a massive draw to to want to go up there and, and check it all out too. And um, we just thought at that, that age, my mum wasn't going to move. I had two young sisters and I would have been on my own. So we thought that was pretty pretty far to, to go as a young kid. So we sort of crossed them off and then um, sort of down to Newcastle Roosters Dragons. And then, um, again, uh, I know it's not that far away, but mum didn't really want me going too far away from home. So it ended up boiling down to the Dragons and Roosters. And as funny as it sounds, the quicker pathway to, to first grade, I, I thought for myself, was actually at the Roosters. They had um, Jimmy and Piercy as their frontline two halves. And then they had Daniel Mortimer in that utility role. But besides that, I thought there was a pathway for me to, one, improve as a footballer, learning under the two origin halves, and, and three, that segue to the to first grade. So, um, yeah, I sat down at a local cafe in Wollongong with my manager and we weighed up our options. I, I went up to Sydney and met Robbo and the coaching staff and um, 
a few of the lads and yeah, made my decision from there a few weeks later and, and signed on with the Chooks. Now, mate, obviously when you go up and meet Trent Robinson, I assume this is 2013, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, 2013. so, you know, Trent Robinson, he's not known as the man he is now. This is his first year as a yeah. NRL coach. He, he later does go on to win the premiership at the end of the season. But what were your first mm. impressions of Trent Robinson? Because obviously, you know, he wasn't a guy standing there with three, you know, premiership winning teams behind him. Yeah. He was another NRL coach. How did you find him? Smart, articulate. Um, his football knowledge is the the best I've ever been around still to this day. You know, I've been coached by a fair few good coaches, but the way Robbo broke down a game of rugby league was like I'd never heard it before. Um, and after I spoke to him about rugby league, I just knew that he, he just knew the game inside and out. And then obviously, um, Sammy, my manager, had heard great things about what Robbo did in France with Catalan Dragons and, and Toulouse and, and obviously being at the Roosters before that as an assistant coach. So he did have runs on the board and, and he had people that had great reviews about him. But once I had that 20-minute conversation about where he wanted me to go as a rugby league player and how he saw the game and, and the team and, and people that they had at the club, um, it was a no-brainer to go there and, and try and improve as a player. But after I got the couple of years there under Robbo, uh, yeah, mate, he's just so smart and switched on, not only offensively, defensively, and just everything else around the game. He, um, he's definitely the smartest coach I've ever had. How did Robbo change Jackson Hastings as a footballer? It made me a lot tougher, that's for sure. Um, you know, at the Roosters, he, he that first year that I was there in preseason, I was 17 turning 18, well, I turned 18. Um, in the preseason, and he just chucked me in the middle and said, "You're going to be wrestling with the uh, the forwards." Um, you know, be doing a lot at nine and just made me tackle. Um, as a kid, I sort of had it all my own way offensively. And, and if I wanted to, I'd just go defend in the centres and, and things like that and have a rest till we got the ball back. Um, and I think he sort of noticed that in me and, and made sure I, I put my head where I didn't want to. And, and him and Fitzy really drove the defensive side of the game um, for me. And, you know, I'm very thankful for that because now I can make that switch to a groove I wanted to and, and things along those lines because of Fitzy and Robbo, they instilled that toughness and, and that desire and that, and that hunger to, to want to defend, not just do it. Um, for a lot of people, it's just like, a, like oh, you sort of got to do it because you play, but they make you want to do it. And I think that's why the Roosters are so successful. Um, they're the best defensive team in the comp nearly every year, them in Melbourne. And um, there's no wonder those with the two coaches at the helm. So, you know, I appreciate Robbo for, for putting a lot of time and effort into me in terms of my defence and, um, I respect him a lot for that. Mate, tell me about that first preseason in 2014. Obviously, this Roosters team, they just won the premiership. They're going for back-to-back for the first time in 20, 30 years, whatever it might be. And I imagine for the yeah. first time in your career, you're playing in a team that doesn't need you. You need them. Tell me about that preseason. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's the best way to put it. They didn't need me there at all. Um, I was just another number. I was a, I was a squatty, really. And um, that was a World Cup year, too. So, mate, half the... Three quarters of the team wasn't even there till after Christmas. So I just remember um, turning up and we were just training at, I forgot what school it was, but we are going to a school to do to do our running sessions and field sessions. And I remember I'd never wrestled before ever in my life and we are going to um, a little wrestling gym in um, Paddington, I think it was, or Surrey Hills, Surrey Hills it was. And um, we were in there for an hour and a half, mate, and I'm just getting thrown around, like getting bashed around and, times I thought I, I don't know if I can do this for a whole preseason. Eh? like you're waking up your body's aching and it just sort of taught you discipline obviously waking up at a very early hour to make sure you're training on time 
taught me how to eat correctly. Um, I was watching people around me, what they were doing and, you know, um, just how hard people work there at the place and it made me really want to do that. But then when all the boys come back off um, international duties, that's when it really intensified and that's when you really understood that, you know, if you don't train um, to their standard or you're not up to their standard, one, they're going to spray you and two, you're going to be kicked out the back door pretty easy. I, I saw, obviously I ended up being one of them people, but I saw a lot of people leave before me that probably had the potential to play first grade, but because their attitude wasn't there or they didn't train to the standards of what the roosters uphold, um, they sort of just got let go. And, um, you know, I sort of found that, that uh, I found that out at the back end of my stay there as well. Mate, obviously you've now arrived at the roosters. You're into your preseason. Um, now I want to know your last name Hastings to like, was it, did it help you get to that point or was it a bit of a hindrance as you were coming through? I, I mean, a lot of people think that, Sons of NRL players, they've got it easy because they've got the name. Personally, I, yeah. I doubt it makes it easy. I, I would guess it almost makes it harder. How would you describe it? It's a pain in the ass, to be honest. Um, you know, I heard, I've heard it all, mate, like in terms of I only made it because of my dad. I'm only here because I'm Kevin's son. You know, um, if your dad didn't do it. But, like, I didn't grow up with my dad. I grew up with my mum. Like, mm. I, um, my dad had nothing to do with my, my football career until I – made first grade like you know what I mean like he didn't teach me how to kick catch pass or it probably or makes those or, comments but, even harder to hear wouldn't it yeah that, yeah it used to make my mum upset and that used to upset me because I know how much time and effort and she put into me like my mum put so many hours that she didn't need to into me becoming a better footballer so I could achieve my dreams but then when I got to the roosters and I'm walking around and his face is painted all over the walls and like Hastings it's across like the boardroom and shit I'm like fucking oh I'm like, bloody, I'm like, bloody hell. Um, sorry about swearing, mate. Like, it's all good. Oh, sorry, bro. No, um, all good. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a lot to live up to this. And um, he's, no, he's, um, he's like, got a nah. grandstand named after him at the SFS, doesn't he? Before it was knocked down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Had all so like had all that sort of stuff, man. Made the team of the century. And like when you go into the video room, there's a massive, um, big mural painting of the team of the century. And like I'd walk in, I'd see that every day. So without their Without like even seeing that, there was pressure. But then when you see that, there was pressure. But I was lucky I had Pearcey to lean on. Obviously, uh, Wayne Pearce, one of the greatest players to ever live, and and, and Mitchell's his son. And Pearcey went through that as a kid and, and still cops it to this day. So I learned a lot of just how he handled the pressure and um, how he handled the media and just things like that too. But, yeah, it's definitely a hindrance. I think if you ask anyone in the NRL that's dad has been involved in the game at a high level, um, yeah, it's really hard, mate. It really is. But at the same time, you've just got to tell yourself that, well, for me, this is what works. Like, I just kept telling myself that, you know, my dad's had his time. I'm Jackson and, and I can only be me and, and play the way I play. We, we're completely different. My dad was five foot five foot ten or something. I'm, I'm six one. Um, my dad was a mad defender. He used to smash blokes. I'm, I'm a solid defender, I'd say. I don't really drill people or anything like that. But I'm a lot more skillful and creative with the ball. So... We're completely different players and completely different athletes at the same time. So I just knew that um, in the back of my mind, we are completely different and I'm my own person. I just um, kept that the main thing inside my head and that's what sort of got me through it. Mate, it must have been good to have Pearcey alongside you. Obviously, you mentioned the son of Wayne Pearce. Uh, you know, he, I'm not sure if there's anyone in rugby league history that's copped more shit than Mitchell Pearce. And I mean, having a father in rugby league as well, he had a really tough gig and Mate, I, I, yeah. I find it amazing Mitchell Pierce has turned out to be the player he has, considering everything he's had to overcome. The utmost respect for him. Um, 
you know, everything that got uh, has been thrown his way is handled with a smile, Percy. There was never one day that he walked into training and looked rattled, looked upset, looked down on himself, whether he'd played great, whether he'd played poorly, whether he'd been in the news for the, whatever reason. He's just one of them genuine people that just love the game. He's, his attitude and, and love for it's infectious, mate. You know, I was so appreciative of my time with him and, and getting to know him as a person. I think we'll... Um, you know, one thing Robbo did say, at the same age, we're very much alike, alike, just footy nerds that are a bit loose that just love the game and just wanted to have a good time on and off the field and dedicated. And, you know, like I was there for some of the some of the drama that happened and the way he handled it, it's a credit to himself and to, to end up being club captain, um, to right the wrongs in Origin and go win that Origin series. I couldn't have been, couldn't have been happier for a bloke, mate. Like someone that's, as you said, just been hammered from day one to be able to win comps, win Origin Series, be captain of some of the most famous clubs in the game. Um, it's a full credit to him, mate, and it's good to see him still thriving up there at Newcastle and, and still playing some great football as well. And I still think great football's ahead of him. You know, he's the hardest trainer always. Well, he always was at the Roosters. He was the hardest trainer. He used to win all the fitness drills. He used to compete on everything. You know, he's not he's not the fastest, but he just compete on every single thing. And I think he's a, um, a true inspiration to kids with, like, they want to. They want to be a good halfback first and foremost. But kids that have a lot of pressure and have a have a famous dad or or have people doubting them too. So um, yeah, full credit to Jew. He's um, he's an inspiration to a lot of people and really proud. I've got to say I've played alongside him and and, and get to know him. Mate, you just mentioned Mitchell Pearce as being a good halfback. Now I would say, and we're sort of jumping into the future a little bit here. But I would say when you left Australia, you're a good footballer. I wouldn't say you're a good halfback yet. Do you think you've developed yep. into a good halfback? Because there's a big difference, isn't there? A massive difference and at the time I probably didn't understand that either like I turned I turned myself into a bit of a just catch pass do your best sort of guy didn't really look to create for others I'd give the ball for others to sort of create for me um, and at the end of the day in the NRL that doesn't work mate you see what Piercy does well and the thing I admire about him is little things that I got to see it training and things like that. Then now I'm implementing in England, which I should have implemented when I was actually playing in Australia. The way he moves on the pass to beat to beat a defender to get straight to B defender um, to either play square and give the ball to Kalen or play a two pass to Kalen. Um, the way he squares defenders up, obviously moving on the ball again to come back off his big left foot. Um, his kicking game, his composure, um, his leadership, little things like that that I never really understood or cared about. I just wanted to go out there and and. I think the thing with the the era I grew up in or the era still is today, it's social media, isn't it? So everything that is a highlight as such ends up on Instagram, Twitter and I probably got a call, I probably got caught up in a bit of that world that wanted to be that guy that was on those highlights where the best halfbacks to to play the game that I've got to be lucky to see was Cronk and Thurston and Lockyard. That they weren't highlight real players, they were genuine leaders, genuine halfbacks and but at the end of the day, they were game winners. So I think getting the balance right between being that off-the-cuff footballer and being that halfback that steers the ship was something that I got wrong, completely wrong in Australia and something that I'm definitely work on, working hard on to get right in um, England. I've got a I've got a pretty good half in himself, Tommy Lulawai, who has sort of taken me under his He's got to be 45 by now, doesn't he? 62. I think he's played about... Like he's done some yards. Games, so. Yeah, mate, he's um he's the toughest player I've ever played with, Tommy. I've got the utmost respect for him. At, at 34, I think he is, maybe 35, doesn't miss a training session, does every single session, doesn't miss a game, and just 
mate, for a bloke that small to hit that hard is ridiculous. But the way that he's helped me develop into a pretty good halfback in England, um, you know, I can't be more thankful for. Under him, playing alongside him, but obviously having Lammy and Ian Watson as coaches as well over in England, two former halfbacks, um, it's really helped my, my game for sure. But, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, and I've never really thought about it like that. There's a difference between being a good footballer and a good halfback. Um, it's a great analogy and something that I'm actually going to keep in the back of my mind too because um, I think that's important for young kids growing up that want to be a seven. And people keep saying there's no difference between six and seven. I think there's a massive difference. And um, I think if you separate the, the best sevens in the comp from the ones that people don't really think are, are the best sevens in the comp, I think there's a contrast in styles and the way they approach the game too. So I'm actually glad you said that. I'm going to take that on board. Yeah, I'll take a little clip of your contract next time. <laughs> yeah, you're going to fight with my manager for that, mate. <laughs> mate, 2014, round 26, you make your debut. Uh, we've spoken before about the last name, Hastings. If that's not enough build-up, you're playing South Sydney, the arch rivals. What do you remember from that week? Yeah, um, so I, I was on a train to go to the city um, just to do some shopping, actually. I was with a, with a mate, and um, I got a phone call off um, Robbo, and I thought, fuck, what have I done? Like, every phone call I've ever got. Out of hours, I've always got in trouble. So I thought, what have I done? It's, it's just, I, I didn't answer it at first. I went, nah, nah, I can't. Like, it'll just rattle me. So anyway, he rang again straight away and answered it. And he said, oh, could you be in my office for 5.30, which was late. I was like, oh, my God. Like, mate, I was shaking. Anyway, so I've had to get off this train at the next stop, get a train back to where, where I was living, get in my car and go straight in. Anyway, I remember walking in the under-20s of training and um, I walked past him and went upstairs and um, just he closed the door behind him and, and he sat me down and he said, so um, what have you been doing? And I, um, I was nervous, mate. My, my lips were going, I was, like, oh, I was going shopping. Like He's like, no, like what have you, like just talking to me about life. Anyway, he just said, um, we play Friday night. It's a, it's a massive game. And I went, yeah, mate, yeah, it'll be massive, obviously, for the minor premiership and stuff. And he goes... Yeah, yeah, the boys really – like, he was just doing all this small talk with me and I didn't know where it was going. I thought he was just, like, literally getting me in to talk about how they're preparing. And um, anyway, he just goes, oh, how would you like to play? I, I, I almost, like – I just laughed, like, <laughs> yeah. And he goes, well, um, I'm just going to stick you on the bench there. Um, come on, hooker after about 25 minutes, man. Nearly fell, over, like, fell off my chair. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I'd been in a bit of trouble um, at the start of that year just from being, as, as we spoke about, being a kid and – being a bit of an idiot, but like to come full circle and for him to gain the trust in me to to play first grade in such a massive game too, like against obviously the Rabbitohs, packed house, round 26 for the minor premiership. I was like, oh, thank you so much. I remember um, like I went to give him a hug and like ended up being a handshake. It was kind of really <laughs> awkward and I just ran outside, um, just had a moment in my car to myself, like as I said, from a seven-year-old kid too scared to play to making that my dream and making that what I wanted to do to be able to sit in my car three days before game and like have a tear and have a moment, um, ring my mum and, and hear her like just go, you better run back inside and get 40 tickets. And like, it was just a whirlwind of emotions, mate. And then um, dealing with tickets, dealing with text messages, but then at the same time only telling limited people. Um, I remember the last thing he said to me was make sure this doesn't get out. And when Robbo says something like that, you better make sure you do it. Otherwise, you're going to be in a bit of um, Barney. So that would have been your biggest um, test, just quietly. 
Yeah, I know. So I made sure um, I didn't really, I said, I just hammered it to my mum. I was like, make sure you only tell family and they don't tell anyone. But on the side, I'm getting all these tickets. Oh, I was a pain in the ass. But I remember I woke up on game day uh, and, I, and my phone was just going off like with good luck messages. But the back page of the paper was just a big picture of me. And um, it was something about being under pressure uh, with the game. I thought, far out, mate. Like it's out there now. Like it's out there for all to see. So I sort of just attacked it and embraced it and, and just understood what I was doing and, and went into camp with the boys that day. And um, yeah, it was just cool to be around as, as we touched on like their star studded side. Like I just felt so comfortable with the people that I had around me and had so much belief in the team, obviously. And um, I remember going down for the last meeting um, in the hotel for the game and listen to the way Robbo addressed the team and stuff. It gives you goosebumps the way he speaks. He's just so um, deliberate with how he talks, doesn't waste a breath or a word and um, just so switched on. And then when we got to the game, I didn't know what to do, mate. I was just walking around, eating snakes and red frogs, didn't know if to get a massage, didn't know when to get strapped. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was like a headless chalk. And then sitting on the bench, I remember like just shaking and we got to an early lead. So I was like, yes, yes, keep scoring, keep scoring. I think it was about... 14 or 16 nil when I went on and I remember picking my card up and Sam Burgess had just walked off and um, I was walking past Sammy to to get like on behind the play to go get into hooker and um, he goes you're in you're in for a long effort night tonight and he said some other things to me as well and, and I went oh shit <laughs> <laughs> I went oh I went oh my god like someone like that saying that to you as a kid you're like far out anyway I got on there and um I still remember it like it was yesterday. My first touch, I just picked it up and ran and got tackled. And as soon as I got tackled, it just all the nerves went away. And uh, one of the best experiences of, of my career for sure. Um, and then obviously winning a trophy in your, your first ever ever game, although it wasn't the main one, it's still a bit of silverware. And yeah, you know, just like just the whole build up to the week, the game, after the game. And then my teammates telling me how well I went was just, um, just capped off such a special moment in my life and my career and something I'll never forget, you know. Say so I got to play with Sonny Bill and against Sam Burgess on the same night was um, I still get tingles as an 18 year old kid and then obviously Greg Inglis, Anthony Minicello, like there, there was just like there were so many people that I looked up looked up to on that field that night that I was actually involved with. Um, yeah, it's crazy, mate. It just brings back such good memories and, and gives me goosebumps and something I'm extremely proud of. Mate, my favourite question to ask is, you know, during your debut, what was the moment that you realised, like, Christ, this is first grade? But I guess Sam Burgess spraying you on the sideline before you got on the field, that would have hit the spot. I don't, I, I don't even think Sammy would remember that, but that, that, was, um, that was the moment where I, I went, right, you better, you better be ready sort of thing. Like, that was my wake-up moment. But I think my welcome to first grade was my first ever tackle. I remember that same set of six where I ran. I remember Piercy just punching this low grubber and like, I've just come on, so I'm enthusiastic as anything. And I've sprinted down and GI's fullback and he picked the ball up and we're in like a bit of a V. So I was at the front here and there was two blokes either side of me. And you could see him just scan the line and see me. I went, oh, far out. There we go. He just picked it up, big bumper bar straight in the neck, sat me on my ass, first tackle in first grade. And I thought, right, this is a bit harder than playing under 20s. And um, yeah, from that moment on, I knew I was... um, playing with the big boys and knew I had to be on every every time I was involved in the play. Otherwise, you'd get burnt and, and that's what happens in the NRL. Mate, it's a pretty crowded club of blokes that have been put on their ass by GI just quietly. 
don't know. There's there's probably more blokes that are in that club than haven't been, haven't, isn't there? So, <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I, I, I laugh at it now and like the fact that he's going over to England and get to play against him again and coming out of retirement. So, my rugby league is full of good stories and, um, yeah, I suppose that was definitely my welcome to first grade moment for sure. Mate, uh, obviously, you, you, you just mentioned so many names are in that game, but the one that stood out for me was Sonny Bill Williams. You obviously got to play with him, and I mean, for you, you know, we're around the same age, and I just remember Sonny Bill coming through. He was playing footy all over the world. He was just – he was bigger yeah. than any game he was in, essentially. What was it like the yeah. first time you met Sonny? What did he teach you? You know, what sort of a bloke was he like? Um, yeah, just – he had an aura, mate, like just – he, he, he was just so down to earth, just so normal and just – but, like, what separated Sonny from everyone was he had that aura about him, also trained harder than everyone else. Like, he put in the time not only with his body, not only on the field, like massage, ice bath, what he ate, being punctual, never being late, um, the way he interacted with people, spoke to people. Everything he'd done was at the highest of class and quality. And, obviously, Sonny had his moments as a, as a kid and – and, and coming through and, and had moments where people probably looked at him a bit differently to what they look at him now. But for him to be able to turn his whole life around and turn into the role model he is today, is a full credit to him. And I just remembered not trying to spend time with him in terms of like going and having coffee with him, but just trying to like listening to little things that he'd talk, talk about the way he trained or the way he ate or how he would, you know, market himself or, or just do little things like that, that, um, that everyone wants to be like, but only Sonny Bill can. And then didn't realise how big he was till a couple of years ago when he became a global Adidas like endorsement athlete. And you look at some of them around the world. Some of them are playing in the NBA. Some of them are in the NFL. And then we've got Sonny Bill Williams, a rugby league player. That's that's one of them. He's literally a larger than life athlete, and and someone the game needs to try and keep in the game. I think if we can, obviously, what he's done for not only the Roosters and Bulldogs and um, but then his rugby career, then his boxing career, mate, he's just had one of these lives that people can only dream about. And um, to say I've played alongside him and, you know, got to know him. And then obviously when he went over to England, he lived not too far from me. So whenever I went to the, the local gym that had a pool and sauna and stuff in it, I'd see Sonny there and he'd go out of his way to shake your hand and ask how you've been, ask how the family is. He's just that kind of bloke, mate. So... Yeah, just a real honour to know that I've played alongside someone of the calibre of Sonny Bill and, and the career he's had is just second to none. Mate, you win the minor premiership that week. Finals footy starts the week after and you managed to retain your spot on the bench. Was that a bit of a surprise for you? Yeah, mate, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going on. I just sort of took it day by day and, and hour by hour. And I got a lot of confidence out of the, the one-on-one video review I did with Robbo and Fitzy and, and Jason Taylor at the time in terms of how I was playing. And then... Um, uh, we played the Panthers on Saturday night at the same ground and um, he didn't tell me till the day before the captain's run on my day off Robbo he rang me and said look you're going to be in again congratulations and all the, all the rest and um, I remember I, I I played really well that semi-final I thought like I had some really nice touches I I made a couple of half breaks set up uh, Skidzy down a short side on last tackle when uh, Piercy was calling it and I, I did shit myself because I dummied to him on last and went down the short side and I thought this better work or I'm going to get absolutely sprayed and um, that's probably the game where I thought like I'm capable of not only just playing but like contributing to the team if you know what I mean and um, we went on to obviously lose that game I still remember Sowie kicking that field goal that was rank it was 
went like that <laughs> the whole way. And I remember him doing the guns and, and stuff like that. And like, I was just sitting there like, fuck, we just lost. And um, I think if we won that game, we got the week off. Yeah, we got the week off, but we had to go the hard way. And we ended up getting knocked out by South Sydney in that um, game before the grand final of the year. They won it. But that was probably the game where I, where I believed in myself and believed that my skills could could do a little bit on on the biggest on the biggest stage and um, I took a lot of confidence out of it too but also knowing what it's like to lose I think that's important as well being in such a great side like that winning's great and, and after we won the minor premiership by 30 odd points I thought this is going to be the same every week and to get brought back down to earth by a team that realistically we probably should have beat finishing first and um, we got beat by a good Pampers side so yeah definitely brought brought everything back down to earth and and really realise what it's like to lose as well as win. If you've got any, mate, what was your uh, first memories of your first Mad Monday in first grade? <laughs> Not being able to keep up. <laughs> I thought I thought I could drink until I hung with the big boys, mate. Uh, yeah, it's different gravy. Um, I've had a, how many have I had now? I've had how many years I've been playing? I think I think I've had about six or seven now. So I'm well equipped to it. This time, this time of year, um, learning how to pace yourself is important. Um, we had a few kids this year that were a bit like me. They they got a bit edgy on the bus on the way home from Hull. It's a two hour bus ride, and um, they were they were blind, mate. And then I was just giggling, just slowly, obviously disappointed as well because I was part of the game we lost. But then when it came around to eight o'clock the next morning, there wasn't too many left standing. There was a few snoring, but um, yeah, you just got to learn how to pace yourself and not try and be the big dog too early, but. Yeah, there's a few stories I'd love to be able to tell you, but I can't. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I realised that I wasn't as good a drinker as I thought I was, that's for sure. Tell me then, uh, who was the big dog on that Mad Monday you were looking at going, Christ, how on earth am I going to keep up with this fella? <laughs> Boyd Cordner's a great drinker, actually. Um, all those all those boys that had played for uh, seven to ten years in first grade um, were great, mate. Just, just good fun as well. Like, there was no drama. It was just... A great night into into a great day, obviously, and um, you know you bond with people. Like obviously, when when you have a few beers, you get a bit of emo- you get a bit emotional, and um, people start saying all sorts of stuff. So you know, it's just great after such a long season that, that you put your body and your emotion through to be able to just you know put the feet up and and just have a great time with the boys. You you literally bleed and and go to battle with every single week and every single day at training. So. You know, a lot of people are sort of against the Mad Monday, but at the same time, it's our way of letting our hair down and, and just having a good time and relaxing with the people that you, you spend the most time with. And, and that's sort of the way you cut the end of the year off then. And then you get obviously go off and, and have your holidays and stuff like that too. So, yeah, there wasn't one person that I looked at. I, I probably looked at everyone and thought I'm out of my depth here. But at the same time, I'm, I'm getting to that age where I've, I've got to start to set the example. Mate, obviously 2015 rolls around, 2014, it's your first year in the Roosters system, uh, you know, you're finding your feet. What's the difference for you leading into 2015? My role within the team, I, I sort of knew that I was going to be, uh, well, not knew, I didn't expect, I just sort of had an inkling that I was more of an important figure in the team and, and that wasn't obviously playing six or seven, that was just being within the squad and on the bench or being considered every week and um, I knew I had to put a couple of kilos on and um, I got way heavier, I got stronger, I got fitter and I just got more confident with the fact knowing that Robbo believed in me and, and was willing to put me into the game in, in critical moments and stuff like that. And then obviously I didn't just train at six or seven, I trained at nine um, 
I trained at one. I trained all over the, just trained all over the park in case in case the team needed me. And then, um, yeah, that year rolled around and um, had that was probably my best year in first grade to be honest. And I was, I was nineteen. Uh, was I nineteen? Yeah, nineteen years old. And it was definitely my best year in first grade. Um, obviously, Piercy got injured in round twenty. Oh, I can't remember three. I think or four. No, 20, round 22 or something like that against the Broncos. I remember it at Allianz. And, um, yeah, that's when I got my chance to play halfback. And that's when I really thought I was going to kick on and have a um, successful run there at the Roosters. Have you still got that uh, first jersey that you wore seven in? Yep. Yeah, definitely do. Um, that was a proud moment for sure. That's um, that's what I dreamt about. Like, you know, when you talk about the father-son thing and all the rest of it. But, like, you're not a you don't play first grade to, to wear number 18 or anything like that. You, you want to eventually become that starter. And um, yeah, I definitely do still have that seven jersey for sure. Mate, uh, one guy we haven't spoken about is your 5'8 in this side. Now, James Maloney, well known for being a larrikin, um, extremely confident fella. And I always think with James Maloney that, you know, if he wouldn't have had as much success as he's had, I think people would have absolutely hated Maloney in the way that he carries on sometime. But Success, it changes the perception of people completely sometimes. Did you see a little bit of yourself in James Maloney at times? Um, oh, kind of. I, I, I was a bit more serious than than Jimmy. Jimmy was just one of them people that you have to have in your team. You have to have a person like that. And um, what Jimmy brought was he has the ability to be that larrikin but to, to switch on straight away. And when we trained, he was the, the leader. He was the the focal point, like he was the loudest talker. And then when we got on the field and a team had scored against us, he'd bring us in and he'd be the one to, to rally us around. So like people do see that Larrick inside of Jimmy, but as you said, um, he's a fierce competitor, mate. For a bloke that plays, a, I don't really know how heavy he is, 86, maybe 88 kilos. The way he competes and plays and, and wins at every level and every club he goes to, I think is a credit to himself. But I think playing with him, um, he took a lot of pressure off me. He took it upon himself to make sure that he was the dominant half. Everything sort of ran through him. And then I, would, I could just filter in when I needed to. But I've got a lot of respect for the way that Jimmy um, introduced me to first grade and helped me out. He took a lot of pressure off me. Um, he made me relax. Just his vibe and his energy made me feel relaxed and confident at the same time too. And every single person in our team respected him as well. And um, I suppose if you're as confident as that and, and you can carry on like that, and you've got three premierships playing for Australia in Origin Origin Series under your belt, I think you're entitled to sort of be how you want to be. But, um, yeah, tremendous leader. I think the side of people that only the players that play with him will be able to say, but tremendous leader, tremendous father, um, definitely a role model and someone that um, helped introduce me to playing halfback in first grade for sure and, and really helped me out. What's your uh, What's your funniest memory of uh, Jimmy when you're at the Chooks? I just, just, oh, there's so many, man. Like he just lit up a room when he walked in, bro. Like if, if we're having a serious conversation and like it was getting a bit awkward, then Jimmy would walk into the room and make a funny comment and everyone would crack up and then that's the end of it. And, um, or when we were roommates, he'd just tell me to put the, he just, if I was closest to the remote, he'd say, hurry up and put the, the horses on and you know, have a bit of a pun and things like that too. He's just, he's just an all around good bloke, mate. Like just someone you need in your squad, good energy, good vibes. And as I said, the most important thing that I learned from Jimmy as, I, as I've got a bit older, he's a great dad, mate. Like he used to bring his, his young fellow into training and um, he used to do everything with the boys and like bring him to lunches and coffees. And 
and as I get to 25 and, and hopefully I start a family of my own in the near future, that, like people like that and, and witnessing that as a kid is, is how you want to be as a dad. So I've got all these great memories as Jimmy as a footballer, but also as a parent and um, got a lot of admiration for, for him and the way he goes about his life. Now, mate, it's for me that this season, as you said, this was probably your best season of footy. And the one thing I remember from this season is the amount of confidence you had in your kicking game. There was a number of moments there where I remember, you know, seeing you have an opportunity that a pass probably would have done the job, but you just seemed so confident in your kicking game that, you know, where you could get away with a pass, I felt like you were leaning towards a kick. And I mean, I think for some people, they sort of, you know, once again, bringing that word up again, saw it as like an arrogant sort of approach to footy. But, you know, for me, it just looked like you were so confident in your kicking game that you were just backing in any day of the week. Just, I was just carefree, man. Like, I was a 19-year-old kid. Um, I had so many good players in my team. And I just thought, like, I, did, I wasn't thinking. That's that's the when I play my best football, to be honest. And, like, I remember I remember the kick you're talking about. I think it was a Melbourne Storm game in the semifinal when I probably should have just went to the – like, passed the Fergo and he would have tipped it onto Skidzy and scored in the corner. But I, I, I kicked it. And I remember, um, I remember the crowd just went dead quiet. And as he caught it, they all erupted again. But like, even me at that moment in time, the risk reward wasn't even a like wasn't even a factor in my head. It was just like I'm going to kick this because it's the quickest way to get the ball from A to B. And that's the way I thought about the game, and that's why I was playing such good football at the time. I was just a young 19 year old kid that not didn't care about the repercussions, but wasn't scared to fail. If you know what I mean, like I wasn't worried if. I kicked out of the full or I wasn't worried if I dropped it. I was just attacking the game and attacking the moments within the game. And and that's something I lost. I will probably go into it, but the year after I lost that, I turned into like structured robotic and, and, and was too worried about stuffing up. And that just completely ruined the way I was playing. But that year in particular, mate, I just, Robo just wanted me to be me. I couldn't be PSC. PSC plays the game at such an elite level. As a 19 year old kid, I couldn't do that. So he needed to, just showed faith in me and what I could do. And he, he knew that I was going to back myself. And I went out there and I did that. And um, for that year, I just went on that hot run. I think we won, I think we won nine in a row, yep. including semifinals until we got dished up at Suncorp by the Bronx. So, um, yeah, it's a rich vein of sort of form that I'll remember forever as a 19-year-old kid. I, re- I really enjoyed that phase of my career and um, obviously wish it went on for a lot longer and I, I could have continued playing great footy for that club. But at the end of the day, it didn't really work out like that. But, yeah, just had confidence in my ability and just backed myself um, regardless of what the outcome was going to be. Now, mate, up until this point in your career, you know, you've had a heap of compliments come your way. But for me, this is probably the greatest compliment that the Roosters are allowing James Maloney to leave the building. They've got full confidence in you to wear that six jersey. That must have been an amazing feeling. It was weird. It was a weird feeling because um, I touched touched the, um, on this to you before we, we started. It was one of them where, like, yeah, it was unbelievable to know that the club back here, but at the same time, I was excited for the opportunity and, and couldn't wait to get my chance. But then I also didn't know mentally if I was ready for the challenges and, and pressures of that. Um, with that, And obviously, Jimmy had won a comp at the Roosters. We'd won three minor premierships in a row with him at six. Um, you know, statistically, every week he was good. I was taking over the goal kick and there were so many things that came along with Jimmy leaving that I didn't know if I was ready for. And obviously, as it turned out, mentally I wasn't. It all sort of come crashing down for me. But obviously, when it all sort of came about, I was pumped for the opportunity and, and, and ready to step up. And then 
obviously a few incidents had happened and it didn't probably turn, turn out the way we wanted as a club. But I remember my first chance to play, um, we went over to England and I, I wore seven, Jade Nicarim wore six, uh, Fergo was one and um, Latrell was on the wing. And I remember that and we went over there and we smashed the Helens in the, the World Club Series. And I thought, right, we're in for a big year here. Our young kids are going to, you know, just play that carefree style of football and um, teams won't know how to prepare for us. And then it just went the complete opposite way from the moment the ball got kicked off against the Rabbitohs in round one. And, you know, I found myself um, out the exit door pretty quick. Mate, obviously that season, uh, your halves partner, Mitchell Pierce gets himself into a little bit of Barney rubble. Uh, we all know that story on Australia Day. And how did yeah. how did that affect you? I imagine losing – I mean, you're obviously you've, – you've lost James Maloney one, but then to lose Piercey, that must have been catastrophic for you. Yeah, it was catastrophic in the fact that, like, I cared about him as a person first and foremost and, and obviously the, the circus with the media and stuff like that and – how I saw that affect him mentally and, um, you know, that was shattering as one for one. But then from a rugby league sort of thing, um, it was like, right, this is you're, – you're in the driver's seat now. Like, this is your team. You've got to come up with plays and you've got to be the dominant leader. Uh, not dominant leader, but like dominant voice and and get the team around the park and, and all the rest of it. And I just – as I said, as a 19-year-old kid, mentally, I don't think I was ready for that. Um, it's no one's fault. Um, it's no one else's fault at all that that had happened. It's just the way it panned out. And um, if I had starred in that situation, who knows? I, I might still be there playing playing halfback, but it didn't. Um, we didn't go very well. You know, I had moments in games where I did play did play well and we just lost and we'd still lost. And at the Roosters, that's not good enough. It's a club that um, expects to win every time they step on the field. And as a halfback, I didn't deliver the results. And... Yeah, I sort of um, paid the price. I got dropped um, to under-20s. I went back to under-20s and um, Connor Watson played alongside Piercy and absolutely brained it and I never got my chance again. And um, It was weird because that silver lining that year, we went on and won the under-20s comp. I wasn't actually allowed to play in the grand final because I didn't qualify, but I just had a lot of fun going back and playing with kids my age and um, a lot less pressure and just enjoying my rugby league again and then being part of a team that won that 20s grand final. I think in that team, there was Nat Butcher, Victor Radley, Joseph Manu, um, Puasa. Um, who else was there? Johnny Tuovasa-Shek was in that side. Johnny Tuovasa-Shek, Grant Garvey, Paul Momorowski. That was uh, the, uh, that was the grand final. They were down by 30-odd and they came back, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. I remember I was in the sheds and um, Hansi, our coach, just – just looked at him and uh, just walked in and threw his um, clipboard and just said, F and figure it out. And they went back out there and they killed it and won the grand final too. So, yeah, so it was a silver lining in what was a tough year, mate. And um, I sort of knew that I was on the out um, from the club anyway, obviously getting dropped and, and not getting my chance back in first grade and, and things like that. And it was a tough year for the club all year round. And um, obviously, yeah, that's when I sort of um, – didn't really make the choice. The choice was made for me and ended up parting ways. Now, mate, obviously, you know, the Roosters, they're not here to fuck spiders. I always say the Roosters, they're in the premiership's business, not the friend's business. If they don't believe that you're the halfback to lift a trophy for them next year, you know, you'll soon find your way out onto your ass, which you've seen with Kyle Flanagan this year. How did you deal with it at the time? Oh, well, mate, I had months of in the back of my head sort of without anyone telling me. I, I, I kind of knew. Um, I kind of knew that 
I wasn't in the plans or I could I had an inkling. So when it sort of got told to me, I wasn't shocked. I think obviously in Kyle's situation, he played the whole year in first grade and and done bloody well, I thought, you know, like he couldn't have done much more than what he did. He um, you know, kicked well, got him around the park, all the rest of it. But obviously they didn't see something in him in him that they didn't like. And um, for me, it was completely different. I sort of knew it was coming, so I was able to prepare mentally for it. But still, when I um, got told I wasn't needed for preseason and I had to drive to Wyong um, for four evenings a week, that's when it got tough mentally for sure. And then um, just staying with it and, and trying to keep myself in a good headspace was hard. But at the same time, I was playing footy for Wyong and, and, and training in the preseason too. So. Yeah, the travel got to me a little bit, but um, in terms of leaving the club, I, I sort of knew it was on the cards. Uh, how did Manly come about, mate? Um, so after about three months at Wong, like I just thought I was going to spend the year there and, and just play my footy up there and just hope for an opportunity somewhere. And um, got a phone call just before Christmas um, off my manager and he just said, you know, Manly are keen to have a chat. And it was just a quick sort of like, uh, we feel like there's a spot for you here. Um Going forward, obviously Blake Green was there. They didn't know how long he was going to be there and they were going to obviously try and partner uh, me and Cherry. Well, that's what I thought was going to happen anyway and that's what we sort of – that's how we thought it was going to pan out there and, um, yeah, signed the dotted line and, and started after Christmas that, that next year. Mate, um, I had Dylan Walker on my podcast at the start of the year and he spoke about when he left South Sydney, arrived at Manly, he couldn't believe – the facilities at the place. He said it was like going back to club yeah. football. Was it a bit of a shock for you as well? Definitely. Like, um, obviously, the, the demandables are there. And I've done camps and, and junior rep team camps at um, Narrabeen there. And, and, you know, they're not the greatest in the world, um, which makes the club impressive at the same time because they've won comps. Like, I got told stories when they used to win the comp um, and they didn't have showers set up. So I'd just use a hose in between sessions um, outside and then get changed and use a hose and jump back in their car and go home too. So it's pretty remarkable. Um, they were so successful for such a long time um, with the lack of resources they did have at the club. But, yeah, going from the Roosters to um, Manly was definitely a bit of a shock and I didn't really know what to expect, obviously. But, yeah, it was going back in time a little bit. But at the same time, it, it brought you back to you're not giving everything. You've got to be able to earn it and, and knowing the people that come before you in that Manly jersey that were, were able to win comps and, and play for grand finals nearly every year with lack of resources made you want to do that too. So there's always a silver lining. Um, but, yeah, it definitely walks us right there with um, in terms of going back in time from, from where we both sort of come from. Mate, I imagine for you arriving at Manly, it must have been a pretty special moment to be coached by Trent Barrett. I imagine as a Dragons junior when you were coming through as a kid, you know, he was the guy. Yeah, mate, yeah. He was a fantastic player. Um, you know, obviously what what's taken place has taken place, but I'll never knock the fact that Trent, Trent's one of the best 5'8s running around. Um, it's funny that I'm playing for, for Wigan. Obviously, he played 5'8 at Wigan and all the fans um, – tell me that he's the best 5'8 the club's ever had and things like that too. So, um, yeah, mate, of course, being a Wollongong junior and watching Baz run around as a kid, he was someone that we all sort of idolised and, and had a lot of respect for. So, yeah, to be able to play under him and, and to learn from him was something that really attracted me to the club, obviously, and something that I was really keen for. And, um, yeah, you, can def- you definitely can't take away from the football he was, that's for sure. Mate, you, uh, you play your first game for Manly. I believe you score a try in your first game. Yeah, I, I got it gifted to me. I think... Um, Turbo done what Turbo does and just made a break and then I was just pushing up the middle and he 
he just drew him past and I scored a little easy one under the post. But yeah, we won. So that, that was great, obviously. Mate, you played that night. I'm just having a look at the team list now. You played the Cowboys featuring Thurston and Kalen Ponga. Um, yeah. I imagine that must have been a pretty scary prospect. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I hadn't had much luck going up to Dairy Farms. I think I'd been up there twice and got smacked twice. So um, we went up there and I remember Tom got a head knock in the first 10 minutes. So I played about 15 to 20 minutes at fullback. I remember JT doing these low little dart and kicks and I was like, Fucking old, I'm going to have to pick these up all night. And I just, I kept looking over to see if Turbo was going to get back on. He, he finally come back on. But then uh, when I went to hooker, obviously the game becomes a lot easier and you're in the middle. You've just sort of narrow-minded, making tackles and and pass off the ground. But yeah, playing against JT is always special, mate. And then um, KP was sort of taking the, the league by storm. Then, you know, he was the, obviously the next best thing and obviously still is to this day, but that's when he really burst onto the scene and become the player he was. So, yeah, it was definitely a tough um, task going up there to play against the Red Hot Cowboys. So I, I think well, they had Michael Morgan um, at the peak of his powers and two, uh, Tamalala, obviously we know what he does, Gavin Cooper. So they had a they had a fair squad, mate. Mate, you mentioned those kicks that Thurston used to do and, you know, I, I don't have any stats on it, but... I'd love to know if there's anyone that has more force dropouts from beyond the 30-meter line. Those kicks he used yeah. to put in, they just looked awkward as all hell. He used to he used to um, trap him in goal himself, so he'd kick and chase and he'd make the tackle, which makes it even more – sort of what Brett Kamala used to do from about mm. 60 out when he used to do those low punching kicks. And he'd yeah, slide kicking and through the, the line, not over it. It's hard to defend. <laughs> yeah. I think besides JT, probably Adam Reynolds would have the most. Um, he's, he's, he's a freak at how he can get the ball in behind the line and – and force a dropout. So, yeah, JT just went about it completely different than everyone else, and I suppose that's why he's um, going to be the next immortal, I think, and and someone that we hold in the highest regard. Now, mate, obviously you, you play 2017 at Manly. You play, you know, nine or ten games or whatever. Now, 2018 rolls around, and this season, uh, I mean, it's almost like you didn't wear a Manly's jersey. It all happened up in Gladstone. Tell me the story with DCE from your perspective. Uh, mate, like obviously won't jump too much into it and bring up something that happened um, a lot of years ago. All I'll really say is we both made a poor choice that night. Um, we both made a silly decision and it ended up biting me on the ass. Um, that's really all I'll say about it. Um, there's definitely some untruths there. Um, they got printed in the paper and, and spoke about on the news and, and people that had no idea were talking about a situation that they had no knowledge of and um, I sort of sat back and probably wore a lot of things that I didn't have to and I just wanted the situation to go away but um, obviously um, got flicked to, to Blackdown and got this massive thing made out of something that didn't need to be so big and um, yeah look that was probably the hardest that's probably been the hardest stage of my my whole life to be honest apart from losing my nana and, and friends to um to, to suicide that that's definitely the hardest that's probably the hardest chapter of my life ever um had tv crews at the front of my house couldn't walk and get a coffee for three weeks wasn't allowed to go to training um drove to blacktown from manly which is like an hour 40 um four four afternoons a week to train um yeah it just um it turned my world upside down mate to be honest and i said i had people speaking on a situation they had no idea about and, and making a story out of absolute rubbish and it was all going against me, and then all of a sudden the narrative changed, and and it turned on daily, and it had nothing to do with the actual situation. I, I just thought it was more of a personal thing from the coach to me, and um, yeah, I suppose the rest was sort of 
was history. I, I got the punt and, um, yeah, I had to deal with the fact that um, I had to get my life back in order and my career back in order. I thought at that stage it was over my career. I just, um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was coming next. I was just so caught up in this moment of, of sadness and confusion and frustration that I just didn't know what the next step was going to be for me and my life and my career. And I'm just glad that I'm sitting here talking to you now and it all sort of kind of worked out for not only myself, but Daly. You know, Daly's, Daly has a young family too, so I'm glad that it's worked out for him. Um, he's went on to Captain Queensland, win Origin Series to play for Australia too. So I'm happy that we're both able to have moved on from the situation, um, both put it behind us and both become better players and, and hopefully people from, from the experience for sure. Mate, you mentioned before you obviously respect Trent Barrett as a player a lot. Bloke to bloke, yeah. did you mend that relationship or is it has it really not been sorted out? I, um, the thing that disappointed me about it was I didn't speak to him through the whole process. He didn't say a word to me and um, that sort of disappoints me a little bit because um, I would have been willing to to sit down and accept it. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, I've, I've, been in, I've been in a fair bit of trouble in my life before and I've always wore it on the chin. So just had an open conversation with him and cleared the air, I, I guess it would have been fine. But to hear nothing, to hear nothing from him was pretty disappointing. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to sit here and bag him, mate. If I if I walk past him in the street and he said hello, look, I'd probably say hello. Um, I was always probably reluctant for the last year or so, and 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 thought, nah, I'd never do that. But at the same time, hey everyone, I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. One of these things that have happened, I heard Trent do a bit of an interview about it not long ago when he got the Bulldogs gig, and it seems like he's learned a lot about himself as a as a man manager and a person too. So, look, um, although I don't agree or don't appreciate the way he went about it and the way I felt like he tried to to drag me through a bit of stuff that I didn't need to, I also appreciate that humans make mistakes and and the fact that he's admitted to to making a few of them himself and. He was man enough to admit that in front of front of the camera and to, to the public. So, you know, I take I tip my hat to him for that. And as I said, I'm I'm never going to be his best mate, but at the same time, man to man and bloke to bloke, I respect the fact that we both stuffed up, we both made poor decisions, and in the end, it cost us both our job too. So, it's not like um, he's still there and and having all this success. He obviously went to Penrith and, and done done great things for Nathan and things like that too. So, look, all the best to him. I'm, I'm never going to say a bad word about him. Um, I, I moved on. I'm comfortable where I'm at, and I know he's comfortable where he's at. And um, I wish him um, all the success in the world at the Bulldogs because, as I said, we're humans and we fuck up, mate. So it is what it is. Good luck to him. And um, I'm sure we'll cross paths again one day, and um, we'll see how we go. Well handled, mate. Now, you get to, obviously, that season. It's a career low for you, as you mentioned, and – you know, you're probably the most popular reserve grade player in the country. I mean, I'm not sure if there was a reserve grader that anyone was talking more about than Jackson Hastings at that point. And you're looking for where your career is going to go next. Now, the opportunity to go to Salford comes up. Now, I imagine a kid from the Illawarra 
going over to England to play for Salford. I mean, you mentioned to me but, uh, before we started recording that you had no fucking idea where Salford was. I think that's the majority of us. How did that opportunity come about? Um, as I said, I was just sitting there scratching my head. What, what am I going to do? Um, I just tr- was training on my own in a PCYC, um, just kicking the footy around. And like, mate, you have all sorts of thoughts go through your head. Am I ever going to get a chance again? Um, you know, I just kept, obviously, I tried to avoid Twitter and all that, but it just hits you in the face. Like people saying you're never playing the NRL again. Um, hates him. Like all this stuff, like all this negative energy was coming my way and I just didn't know when I was going to end. Like there was just a wave of like destruction. It felt like around me and I felt like my whole life was literally falling apart. Like I put every ounce of energy I had into being a professional footballer and, and making one stupid decision on a night. It, it just felt like my whole world was falling apart anyway. Um, about two months later, I got a phone call of Sammy again. And he said, "Oh, mate, I've got a, I've got a place for you in England if you, if you want to go over and have a crack." And I was like, "No chance, fuck that, no way." Um, it was actually the Huddersfield Giants first um, that offered me a contract. Simon Wolford um, offered me a contract. He said, "No chance, man. I'm not going to England. I'm not, not leaving my dogs and that here. I'm, I can't do it." Anyway, he goes, "Sleep on it and get back to me." Anyway, he rang me two nights later. I said, "Sammy, I'm not going, mate. Like, I, I, I'm not putting myself in that position. I want to." Another crack in the NRL, and he pretty much said, "Mate, you're not going to get a, like." He, he didn't say it like this, but he pretty much said, "You're not going to get another crack here," and that was the the. That's what I needed to hear. I needed to. I needed the blunt message of, "All right, you can sit here and play reserve grade, or you can go over there and try and make something of yourself." And um, that's when I had I had Huddersfield and Salford, and then I just remember um, getting in touch with Watto Ian Watson, the Salford coach, um, and he explained how he he thinks he could help me revive not only my career but be a better person and and help me do things in the community and things like that where people would learn to love me and um, find the dotted line about a week later and made the jump and um, it was the best career move I've ever made in my life and I'm just extremely grateful not only my manager for sorting it out and sourcing it but obviously the Salford Red Devils would give me the opportunity to go to England and and play for for a club that I didn't know nothing about now I hold deeply in my heart and and, um, have some great times along the way. Mate, I think if I gave 18-year-old Jackson Hastings a piece of paper and I said, hey, write me down the top 1,000 clubs you'd want to go to, I don't reckon Southford Red Devils would get a start on there. No, definitely not. I did, I, as, as you said, like it's a city of Manchester. Um, and I just had no idea where it was, bro. Like, no idea where it was placed. Um, oh, sorry, they'll get angry at me for saying the city of Manchester. It's it's its own sub, it's its own city, all right? So for all those Salford fans that are going to listen... I'm sorry about that. But, yeah, it's pretty much next to Manchester. And I just um, had no idea where, where it was, mate, or anything like that. So, yeah, you're right. It definitely wouldn't be in my top 100 for sure. Mate, obviously, when you do arrive over there, you know, Salford, it's not a glamorous club over there. They are in a relegation battle. And, you know, for those that aren't um, aware of how that works in the Super League, essentially, you're battling to try and stay in the top league, aren't you? It's kind of like the Premier League football. If you finish bottom, yeah, um, a chance of getting relegated too. So it's the bottom, it's the bottom four of Super League and the top four of um, the Championship playing. Uh, it's called the bottom eight. So you play seven games, um, the two lowest ranked opponents. So the bottom Super League club and the top Championship club play a thing called the uh, million pound game. The winner. So if you're the winner of that game, you either go up or down. So depending if you're in Super League or Championship, obviously. And um, Salford were pretty worried about their chances of being in that million-pound game. And I got over there the game before we played Leeds um, in the last game of the regular season. Um, 
had a 20 minute cameo. It was probably the best 20 minutes of my whole career. I, um, yeah, I, I lit it up that game, and and from that moment on, the fans just jumped on the jumped on the Jackson Acing sort of bandwagon and, and just backed me to the hills, and it just gave me so much confidence. Now I was playing for a club that not only believed me, believed in me, but a fan base that just loved me and adored me, and um, they put so much time and effort into singing my name, and and I gave a lot of time and energy back too. So it was almost like the perfect partnership. And out of that, um, we almost went undefeated. Um, we lost two games along the way. I got red carded. Um, against Toronto Wolfpack, I'd done a head-eye tackle and got two-week suspension. We lost both those games and we had to beat Toulouse. Um, definitely like cement our spot in Super League for the 2018? No, 19. 2019 season. And um, we did that emphatically and, and Luke Burgess was retiring and, and things like that too. So it was just a great night. And um, I felt like I achieved something that year, you know what I mean? Like we're talking about my life falling apart and, and not knowing if I was ever going to play again, to I felt like the end goal was a, was a success. And um, I look back on that year with more fond memories and disappointment. And, and that's something I'm really proud of and really and really grateful for, for the Salford Red Devils. And I re-signed on with them for um, 2019 season. I um, sort of turned down Wigan. I felt like I owed the club a bit of loyalty for them digging me out of the mud, so to speak. And, and give me an opportunity to play professional rugby league and at the highest level possible for myself. And um, I repaid them and, and wanted to give them a full year of, of Jackson Hastings. And, yeah, we went all the way to the big dance and, and fell fell that game short. So remarkable how it all sort of flipped on its head, mate. It was just um, – I remember during that year, Andrew Voss tweeted me and I sort of like, was like, fucking hell, Voss is tweeting me. And he just said, like, you could write a book on your last year and when I sit back and I'm talking to you now, mate, you could – you could write a pretty cool book on like Jackson Hastings from 18 to 25 would be um, be for interesting reading. That's for sure. But I'm just proud that I've been able to turn my career around and, and just let go of the past and, and just be a very, like I'm a way happier person and, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for solving for that. Mate, you said, um, oh, well, we went all the way to the grand final. Uh, quite, quite modest of you. What were the odds of Salford being successful that year, let alone making it to the grand final? So we got showed a um, like an odds, an odds thing, and we were like three into one to make the top four, like which is like their finals. They do a top four. It was us and London Broncos were like they're like a zero percent chance of making it. Um, and then like there was a vote before the start of the year on who would come last, and we we got the most votes. So I remember um, we sat down in in our room there at Salford, and there was a whiteboard and. And we we're beating around the bush a little bit. It was a players-only meeting, and we we're like, "Oh, what do we want to achieve out of this year?" People were like, "Oh, be consistent, or um, not come last, and things like that." And I just, I, I just said, "How about let's fucking win the comp?" And everyone looked at me a little bit funny, like, "What do you mean? <laughs> like, how are we going to do that?" And it's just sort of like um, that's where we go back to this confidence thing. Whereas people would say it's arrogance or whatever they want to think of it. That's just how I always approach it. I mean, like. I just said, we've got 17 blokes that are going to play. They've got 17 blokes that are going to play. Why can't we beat these teams? Like, why can't we do something special and write our names into history? And easy for me to sit back and say that now, but that was a true conversation that happened. And I think, you know, we just, we started off like a house on fire. We won our first two, then we lost our next three. And then towards the back end of the year, we went on like this 12-game run towards the grand final. Um, we got beat by Wigan in our first semi-final, where I thought we should have won. 
and we beat Castleford 20-0 at home. Got another shot at Wigan, beat them, and then um, got all the way to Old Trafford. So it was just, yeah, it was a crazy year, mate. It was just, that, that's probably my um, one of my favourite years of football ever. And I think it'll be hard to sort of beat that for sure. Going from a team that nearly got relegated, tipped to come last, and to make a grand final in the same year was was epic. It was crazy. And, mate, um, I know you're a humble fellow, but uh, you, you pick up a bit of silverware yourself. Not a bad gig. Yeah, well, yeah, I was extremely fortunate. I've said it to a fair few people, and um, without trying to sound modest, it's just obviously winning the Man of Steel was was a massive honour and privilege, and I'm extremely grateful for it. But you'd give it back to win the comp. Um, all I've ever wanted to do as a kid was was lift a, a premiership trophy above my head and, and have them memories and have a ring on my finger and, and things like that too. But obviously fell short in that. And yeah, the Man of Steel is great. And it's an honour to be recognised as the best player in that competition for that for that year. But um, that's probably something I'll look back on in 20 years' time and go, geez, I had a great year then. But I'd swap it, I'd swap it for two premierships, if you know what I mean, too. So um, yeah, and then following that, was lucky enough to go on the Great Britain Tour. Obviously, we didn't play uh, great football and, and we got beat. And we, it wasn't the best tour in terms of rugby league-wise, but getting to mingle with some of the, the best players in the game. Obviously, James Graham, Josh Hodgson, Elliot Whitehead, John Bateman, just to name a few, um, to play with them boys, but then also to like get to know them on a deeper level and what makes them tick and how they become such great footballers as well. To get coached by Wayne, um, someone I'd known for a while but never had too much to do with, was great as well. So it just capped off what was a good year. Obviously, we would have loved to win all four games, which we didn't. You can't turn back time, but... Had plenty of lessons and experiences along the way on that trip too. So I'm just grateful for 2019. It was um, one of the best years of my life, which could have been um, one of the worst in 2018. So it's just funny how everything works if you if you just work hard enough and you dedicate yourself to the cause, mate. And um, just really, just really um, grateful that I got the chance to go to England and, and have those life lessons. I'll ask you about Wayne Bennett uh, in a moment, mate. But just. Yeah. The, the you know the sole purpose that you actually played for Great Britain was that a hard decision for you to make? Obviously, you know if you would once again let's go back to eighteen year old Jackson Hastings. If I said you'd be playing for Great Great Britain in a couple of years, like you would have laughed at me, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know the thing about it is, mate. My nana, um, my nan always as a kid said, "Oh, like I'd love you to play for England one day," and all this, and you sort of sit back and and I was like, "Oh yeah," like you didn't take too much notice of it. Um, until my nan passed away um, about four years ago, we really dove into our English her- English heritage and, and how strong that was and the connections to to um, the English culture that obviously my nan's side of the family had. And, and it runs pretty deep, to be honest, in like world wars and things like that too. So I got a greater sense of what it meant to be an Englishman, although, yes, I'm born and raised in Australia. I, um, I knew the national anthem. I knew all sorts of things about the country that I never thought I'd know. And... Um, yeah, obviously, um, there was a fair bit of talk about that tour and, you know, at that stage of my career, I just thought I was ready to play international football and I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't going to throw my heart and soul into it. Like, I didn't want to go on a tour if I didn't care care fully enough about it or I wasn't fully committed to the cause, but I was and I proved my, my eligibility and, um, yeah, I was extremely proud when I got to run out for the Lions and sing the national anthem and, and stand toe-to-toe with my, with my teammates and, face the hucker and things like that too so it's a massive cultural experience um it's completely different to the way Aussie football is and and the way um 
even living life is. It's um, it's quite cool actually, and I feel like I'm embedded in that culture now, and I feel really a part of it. Mate, obviously, uh, there was a lot of controversy around that, and of course, um, one of your uh, one one of the players over in England at the moment as well, Blake Austin, he made the same decision. Did the two of you have any discussions around that time? Did one go first, the other one followed? Was there ever any conversation there? Well, um, no, there was never any conversation there. Actually, my coach um, Ian Watson pushed me to play in that. Um, 2018 series um, when England beat New Zealand in England um, sort of fell on deaf ears a little bit and I don't think people really took me seriously but um, yeah no I think Blake was actually first um, they were doing these England sort of um, training camps where um, they'd meet up and do like a, a skill session or something I don't know I wasn't involved in it because I never really dove too deep into it but I think Blake went first and he sort of made the jump and um, yeah, no, we had no discussion about it. It was no, um, or should we do this or plan move? Um, I think we both just backed ourselves. If we were good enough, we we're going to get picked. And at the end of the day, Blake had a stellar year. Um, he's he's been a breath of fresh air for Super League. The way he plays, obviously a great attacking player, and uh, puts bums on seats. And you know, big strong athlete, and um, he's played some great football too. And he got picked, and then I got picked as well. So it was just one of them where no, we had no discussion about it. We we're both just very fortunate to get picked in the side. Tell me about Wayne Bennett, mate. What sort of an effect did he have on you? Just, uh, just gave me a completely different outlook on life and and the confidence he showed in me and and the time he put into me and and the way that he handles his players away from rugby league is probably the thing that I got out of it. Obviously, a very serious man when it comes to the sport and done some great things. But you hear all these stories about Wayne and how he's a bit of a larrikin and mate, he sits on the back of the bus. He, he wants to hear stories and he wants you to turn the music up. He wants to sing. But then as soon as we get the training, it's like Wayne Bennett, like you better listen to him. He's the greatest coach the game's ever seen. And unfortunately for, for him, we sort of let him down and didn't play our greatest rugby. But at the same time, any person that's ever been coached by Wayne loves and respects him for, for what he is away from rugby league, I think. I think you know what you're going to get get from him in a rugby league sense. But away from rugby league, the fact that he knows who your parents are, um, what your sister's names are, where you went to school and how much he actually cares about your way from rugby league and, and wants to know if you're all right. Um, you know, that that separates a good coach from an all right coach and I think that's why he's been at the top of the game for so long. Like I even messaged him, you know, I'm a blue at heart and I'm a blue through and through and I wish New South Wales won the series. But, you know, seeing him go back and, and defy the odds and after he copped it for us not going so good for Great Britain, I just said, Hey, Bentos, well done, mate. Congratulations. And he sent me a long message back saying, you know, I've watched you from afar this year. You know, you played really well. If you keep working on this, you'll be able to do this better. And just like he, that just proves to me that he actually did care about me as an individual. And um, yeah, I've got all the time in the world for Wayne and, and got a lot of respect for the man. Mate, I think there's a lot of negatives. There's also a lot of positives. There's a lot of, a lot of negatives to come out of social media, but Personally, I think the best thing about social media is that it's given the average NRL fan an insight to what Wayne Bennett's like in the change rooms. Like he's he's got yeah. all this aura built up around him, and then you see him in the bunnies change rooms dancing, getting his ass slapped, you know, dry helping Cameron Munster. It's just it has just been fantastic to see over the last you know couple of months. And I mean, what is he seventy plus now? It just it's unbelievable. It's so good to see as a rugby league fan. Yeah, mate, he just. And, he, and he, he's old school in his approach. Like, he's not one of them people that will stop you having a beer. 
like the choice is on you to have a beer, but you better turn up to train and train 100% or you're going to get the arse, you know what I mean? Like, you just want to – he puts a lot of emphasis on his players, but he gives a lot of players ownership on on not only training sessions but performances and reviews and stuff like that. He's very old school in that approach, but as I said, when he talks, everyone listens. But, yeah, you know, mate, like he still trains in the gym. Like, we would come in off the field and, and go to do a weight session. He, he's in there benching 10 each side and, like, doing laps around the field on captain's run. Mate, he's just a – He's just a great man. The legacy that he'll leave leave behind is crazy. And um, I'm just glad I'm one of the hundreds of people that can say they've been coached by Wayne Bennett and got a relationship with him. Now, mate, soon after you have the opportunity to join the Wigan Warriors and uh, obviously one of the proudest and strongest clubs over there in England. How did that opportunity come about? As I said, I turned them down the year before. I just felt like I owed Salford another year and the loyalty that the club had shown me and the way they had helped me navigate through on and off the field was um, – a massive, a massive factor in me staying, but then I had to make an. Op- um, sorry, I had to make a decision um, of where I wanted to take my rugby league, and I thought going to a club like that would give me the best opportunity to become an even better player, um, surround myself with some of the the best that the English game had to offer, and and a club that was obviously um, driven by success and and quite powerful. I'd probably compare Wigan and St Helens to probably the Roosters of of the world in England in terms of. Um, you know, the way they're seen, um, the way they're expected to compete, um, just everything about the club. And, um, yeah, I sort of just had had a few interests from a couple of clubs and I just thought for my career I just needed to keep developing and I thought that was the right place to do so. Mate, obviously this year uh, you've got you got two new players joining there and uh, one's Johnny Bateman. Obviously he's been with the Canberra Raiders the last few years. My podcast listeners will know that um, we've had Brett White on a few times, the Canberra Raiders assistant coach, and, mate, the way that he talks about John Bateman is unbelievable. He just seems to be yeah. one of those culture-changing sort of guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I got to play a buddy on the GB tour, and he's just one of them that loves a good time off the field, and he loves a good time just at training and playing cards or just going to get not like he's just a, he's just a funny lad man like he, I don't know what he's saying I can't understand him but like, I just giggle with him because he's he's that funny but when it comes to on the field it's just another one a bit like what we talk about with Jim Maloney could flick the switch and he's just a million miles an hour he's unorthodox he's like mong strong like he doesn't he's got no muscle anywhere but he just fend people off crease blokes like if there's a ball on the ground he's going to be first to it. His rugby knowledge is actually very smart. He's got like a high IQ of the game. So he's going to bring a lot to, to Wigan. Obviously, um, we're losing Sean O'Loughlin, so he's he's sort of got to fill that gap for us and, and bring a lot of like energy and enthusiasm, but experience as well. And then, obviously, the second bloke you touch on, Jay Field, who's been a mate of mine since we were like toddlers. Like I've known him my whole life. And we're both from, um, well, I'm from really from Shalaba, so we're from five minutes away and, played a lot of local footy with each other, Oztag, Touch, all these sort of things too. So um, I think he's going to bring a little bit what Bevan French brought, that pure excitement. And if he can produce anything, what he can, um, what he's half capable of, I think um, we've got two really good signings there. Mate, uh, the same thing with French. I remember when he signed to go to England, I just remember thinking, oh, there's no way that bloke can't be a success over there. And Field, I'm yeah. looking at him exactly the same way. You just know he's going to be an entertainment machine. I mean, with the three of you in the spine, I mean, you're still going to find a spot for Thomas Lulawai in there. It's going to be an exciting yeah. machine. Yeah, mate, for sure. Like, we've got so many different options. I think, um, you know, like, look, if, if I keep putting weight on, I could be playing at 13. Like, <laughs> I could get pushed on. 
I could get pushed to the back of the scrum the way it's going. But, yeah, we've got so many different options. Obviously, Jay can play fullback. Um, Bevan can play out wide. Jay can play six. I can play seven. Tommy can play seven. I can play six. Me and Tommy can both play nine. Like there's, we've got so many different options. But I think once you've got Jay Field and Bevan French on the field together, it's siren sounding, you know what I mean? Like we can come up with all different sorts of play for those two. And I think um, if one of them get in the clear and shut the gate, so we're looking to score some points next year, I think, Wigan. I think we can really put a squad together there that can produce some produce some um, try scoring opportunities. And I think that um, Jay and Bevan could have a field day if our forwards get on top. So we've got players like Zach Hardacre and Oliver Gild out there in the back line too that are just speed machines. And then um, we've got some really young, exciting forwards as well too. So, yeah, hopefully it's exciting times ahead. Are you still wearing uh, jersey 31? Yep. Yeah, yeah, bro. Like, um, What's the significance there for Australians? Explain it to us. Sorry, mate. What's the significance of jersey 31? Like for right. people in, in Australia that don't understand how the jersey numbers work there, explain it to us. So like you get given a squad number at the start of the year. Obviously, they try and go – they predict 1 to 13 and who's going to be there 1 to 13. And then they just give – it's a squad number that you keep the whole year. And uh, when I went to Salford, I was, the, uh, just, I was the 31st person. So I got 31. And then, um, you know, I, um, I remember watching Reggie Miller, um, NBA player, and he used to always say he's he's, he's a mad three point shooter, and he's um his catchphrase his catchphrase was shoot a shoot, and it sort of stuck with me a little bit. And I was like, I got the thirty one jersey, and I was like, oh, I could make something of this if I, I could keep on to it. And over in England, it's good for like revenue, and um obviously two numbers is better than one number in terms of a jersey sale and things like that. And then I remember um I saw a couple of signs in the in the crowd and. And people were calling me JH31 and, and stuff like that. And then I thought, oh, I can make a little, I can make something out of this. I can make it like a little personal brand almost. And obviously with the social media these days and, um, you know, things after rugby league. And then you see NFL players and footballers like Ronaldo, CR7, Messi's got 11, Brady's got 12, James has got 23. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I'm anywhere near the player they are, but I mean, the options that it could open maybe one day down the line in terms of um, self-marketing and things like that is what I was looking at. And, yeah, I've kept it again. It'll be my third year in a row. I'm in 31. It's a bit unorthodox. It's it's probably a bit weird for some people to see a halfback run around in 31 and not seven. But we live in the 21st century in the modern era, and and that's why I wear it. I, it's brought me a fair bit of luck. I've, I've enjoyed wearing it. It's sort of stuck with me. It's given me, um, as I said, a little bit of my own sort of personal brand too. So, yeah, just enjoy it, mate. My Instagram name's got 31 in it. You know, it's just I've kind of rode with it and, and just accepted that's my number and uh, we're going to be good enough to let me keep it. Jackson, I can't tell you how happy I am to hear you say that. This is something that I've been talking about for a long time on my podcast, that this is how jersey numbers should be. And the way that you described it around branding is absolutely perfect because this is where, I mean, that 31 jersey, I, I imagine over in England you're getting a little bit of that cut for every time a jersey 31's being sold. Is it like the NFL? I kind of. I think it just helps the club out uh, commercially, mate. Like, I mean, I noticed at the back end of the year, even Wigan started like um, in like, so Zach wore number one and there was ZH1 in a, in a caption of a photo. And, like, that's not just because of me, but I'm like, that's cool. Like, people are catching on to the fact that, like... You that becomes iconic, number. though. That's the, the, that's how it should be. Mate, can you imagine how good... Like, Calum Ponga is 
so good at social media. Imagine him having KP1 as like a brand. Like yep. it would go – Nike Nike honestly could do a boot, the KP1, and it would break all grounds for um, rugby league players. Like he's probably the one guy right now that if Nike was serious and went, right, Kalen, we're going to make a boot called the KP1 or the whatever you want to call it, run with that. That would be groundbreaking for rugby league, mate. Or Bowden Barrett, like BD, like whatever number ten, and make a make a Adidas boot for Bowden Barrett. Like these are the stuff that like one day it's going to happen, and we're all going to sit back and go, why didn't someone do that sooner? Or why didn't one hundred percent? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, like, I'm, I mean, mate, I will I'm, never I'm, see the number thirty-eight and not think Jared Hayne. Straight away, and I mean, everyone yeah. dived on those San Fran jerseys. You, you couldn't go outside without seeing a Hayne 38. Like, imagine if you had, yeah. if he was selling Hayne 38 when he was playing in 2009. I mean, those jerseys would be everywhere. They they, they would be Mate. part of just collectible pieces for every rugby league fan. I just think it'd be smart. Like, obviously, there's traditionalists out there and purists that want the best players in 1-17, to 17, but at the same time, it's going to move forward eventually, I think. And, and this is just my own personal opinion. I think there's so many good young players that are so good on social media and that have, you know, Isaac John's killing it and YKTR are doing such great things with it in their space in terms of their social media platform, in terms of like even Brett Finch doing the stuff that he's doing, you, Den and Kemp, like all you guys are doing such great things on your social media. I just think if the NRL can sort of buy into what you guys are doing and, um, you know, making the players product even more accessible and, um, doing the squad numbers or doing something around the plays, being able to get their name out there a bit more. And then our sport will become bigger. It won't just be all oh, rugby leagues big in Australia. You know what I mean? It'll be big globally. And I think that's what we're going to aim to do. And I think I, I keep going back to him, but people like Kalen and, and obviously Jared Hayne and people like that, that's the way to go. And that's the way to go forward. But we're going to have, you're going to have to have buy-in like Cameron Munster. Imagine if he wore, I don't know, imagine if Cameron Munster wore 20 in origin every year and it was just like that was just his like it'd be mental how many people would buy Queensland 20 jerseys and like no one would have ever saw that before and I just think one day someone's going to do it and we're going to look back and go why didn't we do it sooner so hopefully um, it happens in the near future and someone takes it and, and skyrockets and mate like I, I also think the other side of it as well like I, I think the NRL one they're missing out on an opportunity with squad numbers two they're missing out the opportunity of having last names on jerseys like I I, yeah. they, I, I, I walk through Rebel Sport and I see these jerseys for 160 bucks or whatever it is and think my god what an absolute joke but if that's got your favourite player across the back and it's got his number that is his number it's not going to change every two or three weeks because of injuries or he has to move positions it's completely yeah. different I, I, I agree with you mate I think it's an absolute no brainer yeah mate for sure like I think I think the name on the back of the jersey is the first step I think like that's pretty cool man like even in rugby union um over in england um if you swap number you still got your last name on the back of your jersey yeah so i think that's pretty, i think that's the the next step for sure is having players last names on the back of their jersey i think that symbolizes like for people that don't know positions even if like you said to your partner all right babe we're gonna watch um Mitchell pierce play tonight just look for his name on the back of his jersey and you see him then they automatically get a feel for, for what they're doing and, and you can explain the game to someone that doesn't know it, if you know what I mean. Yep. I just think um, it's a massive marketing tool, as you said, to put the name on the back of the jersey. It makes it their own regardless of what number they are. And 
yeah, I think I think people are pushing for that. I think that'll come in first, and then um, obviously the squad numbers will sort of come in off the back of that. But I definitely think last names on the back of the jersey is the way to go for sure. Now, mate, uh, we've been we've been talking for a long time here, and I've been waiting this entire time to ask you: Are you coming back soon? What, what what's the deal, mate? For me, I'm looking around the NRL, and there is a lack of quality sevens in the NRL. You've gone over to England, you you've gained a heap of experience. You've gone through hell in the NRL. You've learned a heap from there. It must be time soon. Yeah, it's a, it's a question I get asked a lot, and obviously, I've got to respect the club I'm at now, and and put everything I've got into my next season at Wigan, and and whatever happens from there happens. I never wanted to burn a bridge or, or close the door on coming back to the NRL, that's for sure. Um, this is where I'm from. This is where my family is. And I always said one day that I probably would, if the opportunity arose at the right time in my life and, and in my career, I'd definitely look at coming back. Um, for me, that would have to be the right club as well. Uh, me and you touched on this before we got on here. You used, I don't want to come. I never wanted to come back for the sake of saying I'd come back. If I was going to come back, I wanted to come back and I wanted to, make an impact on the team I was going to come back to and help contribute, not just be another player in the, in, in the team. So I think we both touched on again. Um, a lot of halfbacks are coming off contract um, soon and you got you got to want teams to want you as well. You can't just click your fingers and, and end up at a spot too. So, you know, um, if the opportunity arises after um, my Wigan contract's up, I'd be silly not to look at it and, um, you know, I've probably got a chance to to right a few wrongs and and not not prove people wrong. I'm not about proving people wrong. Like you're gonna get hate and doubt and all that shit from everywhere. It's about proving yourself right and proving that you can do it at a high consistent level too. So that's something that's always been in the back of my mind. But um, yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure as of yet. But in the near future, you you possibly could see me back here. And and if I do, hopefully it's successful as half as successful as what I've been in England. I'd be happy. But at the moment, I just want to hopefully win a comp for Wigan this year, hopefully continue playing good, successful footy, stay healthy, keep enjoying not only playing but life in general. It's been great to go over there and experience something new. And, um, yeah, who knows what the future holds. But um, I appreciate you saying that because, um, yeah, you know, it's just it's it's nice hearing that from someone over here. And, mate, obviously when you, you know, eventually, hopefully when you do return, are you returning as a halfback? I mean, I, I feel like there's the potential for you to get caught in, you know, a bit of a utility role here and there. Are you coming back as a seven, as a six, as a one? Where where do you think you, you would play your best footy in the NRL? Yeah, probably not one. I think one, I'm too heavy for a start. I'm, I'm, I'm 100 to 101 kilos at the moment. I'm way too heavy, not fast enough. And one's a specialist position at the moment. I think if you look at the top tier ones, you've got to, you've got to be on every single play. And I don't, I just don't think I'm quick enough to be back of those sweep lines or, or pushing up the middle or doing what Tedesco and like, I can't, I don't think I could do that at a, at a high quality level. So I'd probably wipe that out the window, but I suppose depending on who my halves partner is, obviously playing in the halves or, or maybe if someone needed a hooker, I could play hooker. Um, if someone gave me a full preseason at nine, I think I could do a, a pretty good job there and, and be consistent every week. But as I said, it's got to be the right fit first in terms of where you want to play and then the people they already have in the squad and what the coach wants and if they believe in you or not too. So, yeah, I'd probably say a seven or a nine if I was going to if I was going to say anything to you, mate. But, um, yeah, at the moment I'm playing a lot of seven. I played a fair bit of footy at nine for Wigan last year as well. Uh, half an hour spurts to give um, Sammy a rest. So I'm not sure, mate. Um, I don't want to keep growing because I don't want to 
as you laughed at on Instagram, I don't want to have to go to 13. That's for sure. I'll take it up. So I don't want to be increased every game. So Miss me with that uh, stuff. Yeah. Miss me with that stuff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I'll be ball playing. I won't be taking no hit-ups, that's for sure. But yeah, probably uh, seven or nine, mate, I'd say. Mate, I really appreciate your time. And I think, unfortunately for you, regardless of what you do, there's always going to be people out there that are going to put shit on you. They're going to hate you. I think you're always just going to be a polarizing figure. But, mate, I can't tell you how much I appreciate just your raw honesty here. Um, I've obviously asked questions that probably weren't easy to respond to. But, mate, I I respect you so much for your honesty and just how you own up. You've copped the shit you've done wrong and you've learned from it and you're willing to move on and just want to be a better bloke and a better footballer. And, mate, I applaud you on it. No, I appreciate you having me on. I just think, like, for me, mate, I've always owned uh, my mistakes. And I think the thing that, like, I hope there's a young person that, that watches this and that's made mistakes and has been told they're cocky or or they're fucked up and, and they're feeling down and, and think there's no way out of, of doing something. But I think if you just learn from it and you take on board why people are saying certain things to you and you stay fully committed to the cause, only good things can happen. And, you know, I'm still not the finished product. As you said, there's still people that aren't going to like me or, or respect me and things like that, and that's fine. I can't I can't force people to do that. But what I will be doing is continuing to try and improve as not only a footballer but a human being too. And hopefully one day people can look back on my career and say he went from being a, a bit of a brat to a role model. And if that's where, what people remember me for, I'll be, I'll be stoked with that too. So I appreciate your time, mate. Um, really good to talk to you. And um, hopefully can catch up soon and have a beer and have a bit of a laugh. But, yeah, really appreciate your time. All the best during the holidays, mate. I hope you enjoy it uh, with your family and with your grandfather as, as well, mate. Uh, all the best when you go back to England and look forward to seeing you in the NRL over the next few years. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Have a good one. Thanks, brother. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 